0: Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is from Psalms chapter 118, verses 1 through 6. <clears> o <throat> oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his, head's, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do for me. Thank you, Steve. Good morning. Well, I have a, uh, well, growing up, I had a dog named Buddy. And uh, this is actually not Buddy, but it looks a lot like Buddy. So I put it up there so you can see he's a golden retriever. He was a great dog, very smart, uh, very loving. And actually what I found is um, he sometimes seemed to have ulterior motives, at least it seemed to me, for his love. But he was the kind of dog, if you were standing there, you have your hands to your side, he would walk up and he would take his nose and he'd hit your hand up and he'd walk under it. And then he would just stop so that your hand was resting on his back, and then he would wait. And if you didn't pet him fast enough, you'd turn around and be like, why are you not petting me? (laughs) And so he loved to be pet. He also loved food. Um, Unfortunately, he was uh, pretty overweight, and that's our fault because there were five kids in my family. I was the second of five, and he got a lot of table food that he loved. Specifically, he loved pizza. That was his favorite. And so he would sit there. Like a statue next to you, if you're eating pizza, so good. He'd be so good. And even if you, if you were a, a little bit annoyed with him, you could say, go away, and he would leave, though it was so sad when he would walk away, you just feel bad, so you let him stay there, and he'd hope for any crust or pepperoni to fall off uh, to get some pizza. His ulterior motives, though, um, I think were outweighed by his actual love for us, and the reason I think that he loved us so much is the way he would greet us when we would come home. His love was so obvious, and in particular, one time I remember, and you know how a lot of dogs do this. You can be gone like five minutes, and they'll be ecstatic. You're back. But we had been gone for uh, quite some time. We did on a family trip, and Buddy was so excited. He's doing that wagging his tail thing where his whole body is moving. He's kind of... Um, doing the whining, happy sounds that they make. And he wants to jump, but, you know, he's not supposed to. So he's just so excited. And I'm fairly certain he was smiling. I've never seen anything like it. The dog was smiling. And so when you think about this kind of incredible love, you know, it teaches us something about love. And there's some similarity, if I can risk saying that, between this love of a dog And the way that God relentlessly, unconditionally loves us. And when we talk about, as we've been talking about, so now last week and now today, moving from fear to love, it's really important that we understand this kind of incredible love that God has for us. We see that in 1 John 4.18. 1 John 4.18 reminds us that there is no fear in love. What an incredible truth. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So the word love actually shows up three times, if you notice, in that passage. And and the translation or the word that's used in the New Testament Greek is is a special type of love. The word agape, if you've ever studied the types of love in the New Testament, you'll know agape has a really important meaning. Agape has this idea that is a, an intentional, sacrificial, uh, unconditional love. Now, when we use the word love in our English language, especially American uh, version of it, where we just throw around the word love all the time, it doesn't really matter Uh, When we use it, we can use it about anything we want, whether it's just a tiny little thing or something huge, it's the same word. But here in the New Testament, we see this agape, this incredible love that that is in some ways like this dog, uh, just without the smelly breath and without the shedding hair and all the slobber that comes with it. And we know then that the love crushes fear. And we look at this idea then that love is pushing out fear. It's creating space now for a healthy space for us, and this specifically a perfect love. You see there in verse 18 of 1 John 4, perfect love. And when we talk about perfect love, this idea of a complete or a mature love. And the only place where we can find perfect love is God's love. Because there's no other place where we can find perfect love. And at the end of the verse, we see this, that the one who fears is not made perfect in love. It's this idea that there's a place we're going. There's a future for us. As we mature and as we grow and we develop as followers of Jesus, we will hopefully look more and more like Jesus in this type of love, this mature love. But we're not yet there yet. And that's important for us to keep in mind, even though someday, the kind of love that we'll experience will make fear non-existent. And that is exciting to think about, that fear would be no longer an issue in our lives. And again, last week, we talked a lot about fear, uh, but I want to focus especially today on love. And when we talk about this love, this agape love that we see here in 1 John 4, 18, what, is, what does this mature love look like besides just no fear? 1 Corinthians 13, you guys might be familiar with this. Uh, it shows up in weddings pretty often. 1 Corinthians 13, beautiful passage describing what it looks like to have this type of agape love, this, this mature love. So let's, uh, let me read this for you as you see it up on the screen. It says, Love is patient, love is kind. What an incredible thing that we can consider that this love that would never fail. And I don't know what you think of when you think of God, but my hope would be some of these things might come to your mind. And A.W. Tozer says it like this, and I think I have the quote for you. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So let me ask you, what do you think of when you think of God? What comes to your mind when you consider God? I would hope that one of the things that would come to your mind, and maybe even after today a little bit more, that when you think of God, you think of these types of loving attributes. You see here, again, we just read this whole passage about love. And and now consider this, and this is really incredible. 1 John 4.8 says that God is love. It's not just that God loves us, though he does. It's that God actually is love. He is the essence of love. He is the epitome of love. God equals love. And so when you think of God, you should think of love. And so for many of us, this is actually a paradigm shift where we go, oh, wait, when I think of God, I'm supposed to think of love. And here, let me help you do that a little bit. First, let's look back at 1 Corinthians 13, and every every place where we've got the word love, I'm going to substitute that word for God. Got it? So track with me. God is patient. God is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God never fails. Isn't that incredible? That's the God we serve. That's the God we are trying to have a relationship with. And I showed you last week this uh, picture of love and fear. And we've got fear. Fear just is all around us. Fear is where we often try to live and and where we spend a lot of our time. For some of us, a fear, and again, we talked a lot about this last week, so I won't go into a lot of detail, but for some of us, you know, we're afraid to sit too close to the front in church, for example. I just wanted to make sure I got that in at some point through our fear series. Uh, Or we talked about fear of judgment, and this is a real fear that we should have. In fact, if we are not in Christ, this should be the the thing we're most fearing, and that is the judgment of God, because we remember that God uh, is a righteous judge. So we talked about God being a righteous judge, and then we know that He can't look away from sin. He can't look away from things that are wrong. And so He is going to judge each of us, and we stand before Him to give our defense, and we have no ability to stand in before a righteous God and give a a justifiable defense. And so what happened, if you remember, and again, if you've been part of church for any length of time, hopefully this is what you're really understanding and getting. Jesus came. Jesus paid for our sins. Jesus became our defense attorney. He said, yes, they're guilty, but because they're guilty, I went ahead and paid for their sin by going to the cross I paid the death penalty for them. And that's how much Jesus loves us. And this love that can take all these fears when we move into the love of Christ, now we no longer have to be fearful. We can can live a life of peace and joy because love is stronger than any fear. It dispels it. Fear cannot get in. And then we again, talking about this idea that God is love, we can switch this word to God. What we're doing is we're moving from fear into the very presence of God. We get to be with Him. And what a beautiful and powerful thing when we consider again that God is love and God is pushing out this fear. And one more verse that I think is helpful. You can't do this with every verse, but again, to, to drive the point home, I wanna look at 1 John four eighteen. And I want to substitute the word love for God. So there is no fear in God. But God drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in God. Love crushes fear. In fact, it's God that's crushing fear. I want us to hold on to that this morning. I want us to get that God is love. That when we think of God, we think of this this incredible love. And I hope for you that is a step towards understanding a little bit more of who God is this morning. And I want to look at Psalm 118 that was read by Steve this morning. Psalm 118 shows us some also incredible things that will help us continue to understand these. Psalm 118 verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. So when we say give thanks to the Lord, it's almost like we're looking back. And we say, wow, God, look at what you've done to get us to this point. Look at your blessings, the way you've uh, worked on my behalf. Thank you, God. You are good. Right now, God is good. And then from there, we can say his love endures Forever it never ends. There is no end to this love. And we go past, present, future, and what an incredible statement to make. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. We can't say that about anything else, certainly not a dog's love. Dog's love is great, but a dog's love is finite. A dog can only live so long. My my buddy, rest in peace. About twelve years he lived. Because his life, once he's gone, he can no longer love us the way he's wanted to love us. And God, then being so powerful, is able to love forever. And we think about also like a wedding, a wedding day where we've got it's one of the most romantic and in some cases the most powerful uh, commitments of love made before people and before God. We're saying. I'm going to love you no matter what, whether we're sick or healthy or rich or poor, except for until death do us part. There is a limit to our ability to love. And so that commitment, even in the most sacred of spaces, is limited by our ability to continue on. But it is not so with God. God is this ability to love forever. And that is what's so incredible. And when we look at this word love specifically here, now this is the Old Testament. And so we see this word is, it means um, steadfast love. It's a loving kindness. It also can mean mercy, which is really good in light of this idea of this fear of judgment. And we know that even though God could pour out judgment on us for things we've done. He is withholding his wrath from us because of the work of Jesus. And when he holds that back, it is an eternal holding back. There is no concern now for mercy from now until forever because he is enduring forever. His mercy endures forever. His love endures forever. And wow, (laughs) what an incredible God that we have. And then we see this in... Verse 4, let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. This repetition, his love endures forever. But this idea of let those who fear the Lord, the fear meaning, uh, in a sense, a reverence for God. In this case, and and we mentioned this last week, there's a fear that says, wow, God. And it almost like you want to take a step back, but you're blown, and you're blown away by his majesty, his power, who he is. And that's a healthy place to be. And if you've never been in that point with your uh, understanding of God, we need to consider how incredible this God is. We might not understand how really powerful He is, how awesome He is. And when we stand there, then something can happen. When we understand how incredible God is, we can say, Lord, I do want to surrender to You. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus... Something can change in that understanding. Not that that goes away, but now all of a sudden something can happen in us where we start to be able to have a familiar, maybe familial type of relationship with God as our Father. And we want to, even though it's almost scary, we want to get close to this God. And He wants to be close to us. So let those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. In verse 5, when hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. So what happens when things uh, get bad, when they get scary? What do we do? Well, if if you're a halfway decent person, if you hear a child saying, help me, or crying, you're going to help them. Unless it's your own kid, you'll be like, they're fine. But most people would be responding to a cry for help. I remember Mary and I were first married. We were living in a large apartment complex, and I heard a sound in the middle of the night. It sounded like a meow. And we, don't have, we didn't have pets in the apartment, so that was odd. But it was in downtown Chicago, so you hear sorts of all sorts of crazy things. Well, I ended up going into the bathroom, and I could hear it better. And I realized it was not a cat. It was a, what sounded like a person's voice saying help over and over. And my adrenaline, like, shot through the roof. This is the beginning of a horror film, I think. And I, so run in, tell Mary I'm going to go check it out. So I run out into the hall. Uh, I can't hear it out there, which is odd. So I run upstairs. I still can't hear it run back down, and then down below our apartment, and I can hear the sound of a constant, quiet help. Help. It's the apartment right below ours. So I do the logical thing. I knock. (laughs) I knock on the door. Silence. They stop, and it starts again. Help. So I do the next logical thing. I check the doorknob. It's open. I push it open, I walk in, find a sweet older woman who had fallen, and she had hit her head. She was having having trouble getting up, and she was bleeding. And thankfully, uh, we were able to get an ambulance there. The paramedics were able to take care of her. Everything was okay. But what what kind of a person would I have been to hearing that help go and bury my head in my pillow and try to go back to sleep. When we think about the way that a person responds to those who cry for help, you compare that to a God who is love, you better believe that if something serious is going on, that when we're crying out for help, that God is tuned in to you, that God knows what's going on. Sometimes when we feel hard pressed, we feel tight, we're in a tough spot, we cry out to the Lord, that's the right thing to do. And sometimes he takes us and he puts us into an open space, a good place, a safe place. And I'm sure for anyone who's walked with the Lord for any length of time, you you could recount the ways that God has intervened in your life in some ways, miraculous. It's miraculous that we're here this morning. The love of God has done that. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it, it feels like we're pressed in, and it's only getting harder and worse as we cry out. And I can't go all the way down this road today, but I want to make, make sure you're aware. And, of course, if you think about this for uh, any time, you know this is a difficult challenge. We have a God who we're saying is all-powerful, who we're saying is all-loving, and yet sometimes the way He responds doesn't feel like He's intervening in the way we would expect Him to. Why would God allow suffering and pain? And it's important to think through that, and we won't be able to have a full discussion on that, but don't ever for a second think that because you're in a place of pain or hurt, or maybe you're fearing what might come, especially in context of what we're discussing, discussing today, don't think for a second that God loves you any less. You have to know that God loves you no matter where you're at, no matter what's going on, no matter how tight it feels, no matter how much pain you think is coming your way or is already being experienced. God loves you. And the psalmist says something really incredible in verse 6. He says the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. And not only does God love us, he has guaranteed that he will be with us no matter what happens. He has made that promise to us as his children. Kevin did a whole series on this during Christmas, the Advent season. We talked about God is here, and this is such an important truth for us. This really should be life-changing for us, that God is here should change everything. When we talk about the, the um, birth announcement of Jesus, when they say, Emmanuel, God with us, and then he lives literally a life of humanity to be on the planet with us, Then at the end, after he's given his life on the cross and he's rose from the dead, now he is telling his disciples, I will be with you always. And that promise is something we can cling to. No matter what's happening, God is saying, I want to be with you. Paul says it this way in Romans 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, and he hits the hardest one first, The hardest one, the one that we can't even do in our marriage vows, is we can't continue loving after we are gone. So he says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What an incredible truth. This love endures forever. This love is something that we cannot be separated from. For God to stop loving us as his children would mean that God would stop being God. And that's not going to happen. That's because our God is that incredible. Again, verse 6. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. If God is with us, then what, what is scary anymore? If, if we are with God, then we have nothing to fear. So we remember in six words, seek God, find love, crush fear. When I talk about seeking God, I would say this. I would say it's not like hide and seek. It's not like uh, we have to go looking for God as if he's gone somewhere. God is with us. In fact, when we trust in Jesus, he gives us the Holy Spirit to come and dwell with us. So God is right with us no matter where we go. He's there. It's like our shadow. You just have to sometimes turn around literally to see it. And God is there. So we seek God and then we find love. And it's, it's an incredible love. It's a love that's patient and kind. It's a love that is eternal. There is nothing that can break this love and it will continue forever. And then what happens naturally? Fear is crushed. We crush fear. When we seek God and we find love, fear is going to be crushed naturally over time as we continue this process. Look, fear is going to creep in. It's going to scare us. Things are going to come and that we don't expect or that, that we feel like we can't handle. And so what do we do? We turn, we seek God. We find this incredible love, and we crush fear. You know, it's interesting. For some reason, even if we believe that God is love, we still freak out a lot. And I had, you know, my dog, Buddy. The thing that would always get him was thunderstorms and fireworks. And he would flip out. And he, you couldn't put him alone. Like, if you put him in a room, he would be trying to tear out like dig at the door, he'd scratch it, bite it, chew on it, just to try to get out to be safe. And it was the one time our 80-pound golden retriever would try to climb up into your lap because he knew where he wanted to be. He knew where he felt safe. And I don't know how you handle fear or what you do when things are going a little crazy, but I would hope like Buddy, you would seek God, that you would understand that this love that is eternal is able to cast out the fear. And you crawl up in his lap, you get close to him, you find love, and you crush fear. Let's pray. God, we're so overwhelmed. When we think about this incredible love, this agape love, sacrificial, intentional, unconditional love that you have poured out on us. And God, I pray this morning that we would, as a church body, for all that are listening, Lord, that we would receive this love in a new understanding, in a new way, that we would believe this a little bit more today. And so, God, we cling to you we say we need your help. No matter what's going on, Lord, we want to believe that you are good, that you are caring for us, that you are with us in every circumstance. And so, God, we turn to you, and we, we seek you. And, God, we thank you for all that you've done and all that you will do. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.